When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yes, yes, yes. And welcome back to the Fresh Arsenal podcast with me, the OG PB, Ollie, hosting again today. And I have the imposter PB, Pat, with me today. How are you, Pat? I heard you're trying to take my uh, acronym from me. That's yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate um, situation, isn't it? The double PB. Will the real PB please stand up? Yeah. <laughs> if you're not watching the video version, I am standing. <laughs> Yes, we're back today uh, to discuss, well, I think we were going to record straight after the Manchester City game, but it just, when when games go that way, I feel too emotional to uh, to probably give a fair analysis of the game. I just feel, I should probably turn off Twitter as well, because I think I went into meltdown telling people to go in hard on Bernardo Silva and throw things onto the pitch. Which they did. <laughs> Yeah, they Which they did in the end, so you probably did have some influence on that. Do you know what? I I I do feel the same way in the sense that I was like when that when that goal went in for two one because I think that would have been a really big point for Arsenal mm. as a team as a collective. But that going in and it just that goal that motion that piece of play felt exactly like the beginning of the City game at the Etihad in the mm. sense where a random ball goes in, it like deflects off a couple of people, lands to a city player, goes in. And part of it is really unlucky. Part of it is, you know, I, I thought holding was awful for that. I thought, obviously, you can't give De Bruyne that space. And then it's a couple of lucky bounces. But I think, was it Seth Fabregas who tweeted it? He was like, when De Bruyne has the ball there, you've got to stop dropping off. And mm. Rob Holding... Like he sees De Bruyne have the ball and he just start kind of starts holding his line and I'm just like, what? Mm. Yeah, just stuff like that angers me and I think it. Um, you know, we'll we'll go into it. Um, but I think that overall, 
my sentiment after the game was like, oh, really annoying. Like we should have won that. I don't know how we didn't win that game. Like I was saying, I was saying to 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 us in the chat, like I don't know how we didn't win that game two or three 0 and really put them to the sword. It was like we played that well, and then what kind of like like looking at it after, I am less aggravated by the refereeing mistakes. Um, I'm more annoyed that we probably didn't score more. Mm. Um, and then I'm more annoyed that we let them score the way they did. That like the first goal aside, I think the second goal, you, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be conceding goals like that at any kind of standard, let alone Premier League level. And I know you're tired, 10 men and stuff. But mm. yeah, I mean curious to hear your your thoughts. Have you kind of cooled down since and um you know, especially on the refereeing side of things. Like we've had a few conversations about it in our chat, haven't we? Mm. I think, I know I go hard on Rob Holding on this show, but you, you've just reminded me. So you've, you've actually riled me up even more. But um, you're right, Matt. If you think of the last few meetings of Manchester City, I, I know normally they've beaten us by a number of goals, but there's been so many crappy goals that they've not had to work for. Yeah. And the common denominator is Rob Holdings being on the pitch. Or Callum Chambers, to be fair. Callum but at this point, do we know who's who? But it's like, I think, yeah, in the 5 0 earlier this year, Holding and Chambers both put really poor for a couple of goals. The game at the Emirates last year, was it like two minutes in when Sterling beat Holding to a header? Yeah. Scored. It's like, if we want to be at this level, that most fans say, oh, yeah, Holding's a perfect sort of backup. And defender to come in if there's a problem. Is he? Is he that level? No, I, 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 I keep thinking about next season and what we need to do, and we'll talk about it in the transfer segment at the end of the show. I'm mm. like so scared of one of those three defenders getting injured. Like Tierney, okay, we've got Nuno, who's like shown that he's a really able deputy, but. Like Tommy Asu gets injured and we have to play Ben White at right back and then holding Asu to play, which actually probably feels like a better solution than playing Cedric or Chambers because they're you know, mm. clearly both not fancied by Arteta. Um, but I'm really fearful of having to play a Cedric or having to play a holding or Chambers at centre-back. Um, and I think what adding Lukonga and what adding Nuno and what having Maitland-Niles back has done is that, you know, those players aren't superstars, but they're really important if players go down. And mm. like what we didn't have last season was able deputies in specific positions. And it just, it, it, it really wasn't very, like, I mean, again, up front, um, if Lacazette gets injured, we're, we're in a position that isn't very nice in that we've got Eddie Nketiah, who's got six months left on his contract as the only able deputy. I mean, Martinelli could up, play up front there. Um I suppose, but I think it's important, right? Like, I I really do hope Saliba comes back, signs a new deal, and stays at Arsenal. Wants to stay there, and there isn't that bad blood between him, Arteta, and Edu. Mm. But if there is, and he's sold for like you know thirty, forty million, whatever it might be, because you know he's still really highly highly rated worldwide. I I think a, a centre back does have to be on that on that shopping list. Yeah. Um, but again, we can talk about that in the transfer segment because. Um, keen to keen to talk about City even though it does hurt yeah and I think the right type of defender as I say I think uh, I, I tweeted it out the other day there's, there's sort of three points in Arteta's tenure where I've been like yeah he might not be the right 
guy and I'll uh, happily, even though things are going well, I'll happily reiterate when I've said that. It's been after both Everton games last season at Goodison mm. Park where we looked just terrible again this season, which was only a couple of months ago, ago but it just looks horrendous and it followed the Man United collapse um, mm. and the Villarreal semi-final. And I remember us podding after, or, or maybe doing a live on Twitter after that game and I was saying to, to to you and JB, like, when are we going to start playing a consistent 11 and system? Because that's massively, you know, the, those small margins that you get from those relationships on the on the pitch, those relationships that you develop between players. We're seeing now, we, we named an unchanged 11 for like the fifth game in a row. And every single performance has been really good since, since we sort of started to do that. Um, and the reason... You have to get a bit of luck with this. You you do need players not to get injured, but you also need the right backup so that you don't have to change the whole system. You know, last season we were shifting Xhaka to left back when Tierney got injured. That can't happen in a successful team after one injury. Uh, Even Liverpool, when when they had a number of injuries last season, they collapsed in the centre-back because no team can afford to do that. and all the teams that win the titles, kind of city aside because of their, their sheer depth quality, do you get a bit lucky with injuries or they have a very yeah. clear system that they consistently... I mean, I mean, on that, right, look at City. They've used, I think, uh, there was a lot about going around, like, I think when City kind of... Everyone realised City were going to win the league, right? And I think I've been saying it for a while. Like, they were just clear to me because I'd, I'd watched a lot of Liverpool and Chelsea and they just there was aspects of their game that I just didn't think was as, was as, as good as what people were, were thinking. Mm. Um, and then I watched City at Stamford Bridge and I was like, wow, these guys are like so clear. It's not like they're a bit better. They're so much better. And when you see like good players like Kovacic and Kante getting run around by Rodri, who I think has probably been the best central midfielder in the league this season, even though he's a fucking prick. Um it, it, it does show the disparity in quality. But like my point, my point remaining was if you kind of stack up the squads of City, Chelsea, Liverpool, and even United, I think they're, I think I made this point on Twitter, their 16th highest appearance maker is maybe Fernandinho or, or maybe Nathan Ake. Um, so like once you look past that 11, there aren't that many players that are making like, a, like playing a lot of minutes, whereas... I mean, I think I made another point about United, which was they've now played all five of their centre-backs. They've played two or three different right-backs. They've played two different left-backs. They've played two different keepers. They've played all their available central midfielders and every single available striker and attacker that they've had at their disposal. Um, So it's not always about depth. It's about kind of like depth and quality, but also, Mm. yeah, as, as, as to what you said, like luck, because, you know, if Rodri and Fernandinho both get injured, like, what happens if, you know, um, Cancelo and Walker out at the same time, what happens? And mm. I'm sure Pep being Pep would kind of figure out and they'd, they'd kind of still be okay and wouldn't just go on a big losing streak. But um, you do have to have that bit of luck. And, and so far, we've had that. Yeah. Fingers crossed. And I think if you remember back to the, the darkest spells of last season, I remember so many stats coming up on the screen about how we'd use the most players in the league. Yeah most different combinations of a back four and everything, you know, there's, there's a clear pattern there. So, I mean, we're lucky not well, being in Europe. Dark days I think. Where, we were, where we were, where we were arguing Bella and Chambers and Cedric. Yeah. <laughs> and 
Maitland-Niles. Oh, yeah, of course. Four right backs. But, um, yeah, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. The fact we haven't got Europe has allowed us to mostly keep our starting 11 mm. fit. I mean, we haven't really had to deal with an injury yet. Touch wood, touching wood. But, you know, even when Tommy Asu was out for one or two games, was it? You know, there was a bit of a meltdown there. So, yeah, especially next season, if we get back into Europe, that's definitely something we need to look at. But let's um, let's start with the positive sides of this game then. I think if you'd said to me 2-1 loss before the game, I don't know if I would have taken it because we looked so good at home. But, but would you have preferred us to play the way that we... I know it's a really weird question. Um, would you prefer the way that we played and to lose, you know, generally speaking, or would mm. you have preferred us to play like we did against Everton and for us to win 1-0, let's say? I, th- I think if you say win, I'm going to take the win. If yeah. you'd said draw, I would probably say that the loss in performance, um, especially in the manner we've lost, because it's, it's yeah. so avoidable. And if I was part of that management team now reflecting on this games, you know, there's so many positives to take from it. There's so many learning points for this young team to to see where they, you know, I didn't want to get straight into a negative, but let's take the Gabriel yellow cards, for example. I understand, you know, I had an argument with my dad yesterday. He was saying, well, it's clear, two yellow cards. Yeah, it's clear, he's stupid, he's so silly. And it's like he is, it, yeah, in isolation, when you look at those fouls, it's hard to say that's not a yellow. And I think the first one was arguing. It People are saying it was scuffing the penalty spot, but apparently it was actually for arguing. It's difficult, though, because we, we don't actually know, because I've seen a few clips going around, and mm. he has the yellow card out. And I think it's I don't like know a crowd of players, isn't it? And he's yeah, given it and he gets, he, gets, he gets pushed into um, somewhat. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are thinking like, oh, he's he's got a yellow card for nudging the ref. And I don't know if that's true because he's already got a yellow out and it's for someone. We yeah. don't know who. And now maybe he's going to give it to someone else who said something. And Gabriel was just kind of like the closest person there and is a victim of that. But uh, if if we're going to use that, I, I think, you know, like let's, let's talk chronologically about the errors first and then talk about like um, mm. how good Arsenal were. I mean the the city penalty, right? I think if you take all of these situations in isolation, I actually don't think that they're wrong, right? I think they're it's all the, marginal, aren't they? But it's yeah. like they've all gone against yeah. us. Yeah, exactly. But I think the context in which this is played out makes it feel a lot worse than it is because. Mm. And, and again, this is VAR's fault, right? I don't know why they don't have the angles to show that Odegaard's been um, clattered, like not clattered, but like he's been impeded, right? Wh- whichever way you look at it. And I've had some fans be like to me, like, well, he's actually stepped on his foot and it should be a foul to, to City. And I'm like, it's not really the way football works. Like if you play football, right? Mm. And if you've played football and you know that someone slides underneath you, doesn't touch the ball and gets in your way and impedes you, that's a foul, like anywhere on the pitch. And I, I like that for me is a penalty, right? Like, and there is then this big discussion around like, what should the penalty threshold be? Because it's a low scoring sport. 
but like we do still want to I, I do think for me and maybe this is kind of biased because I play up front but like I do want to see defenders and goalkeepers um punished for bad defending or fouls especially in the box when they should know better because I think it's just stupid like Edison there should just let him go around the around it like he should be maybe on his knees at best but like to go sliding in the way he did I think is stupid uh, and I think it should have been a penalty but I think in totality, if it wasn't given as a penalty and Nudd was the Jacker one, I'd be like, fair enough. But mm. I do think in isolation, that first decision should be a penalty, right? Mm-hmm. And then we go on to the second decision, which is the Jacker one. Also, as a striker, if I did that to a defender in the box and they weren't penalised, I'd be pretty pissed off. And now a lot of people are saying it's a dive, and I think it is a dive. But it can be a dive and a foul at the same time, Right. Like, I think that's kind of, and again, there is no black and white here in, in either the rules or, or the interpretation of the rules. But for me, I think you can win a penalty, but also be fouled, right? Mm. And that's what Bernardo Silva, whether we like it or not, has done. And Xhaka should be punished for it. So in isolation, again, I think that's a penalty. But generally speaking, if that first penalty is not given, the threshold is now set for the rest of the game. And I don't mind referees being inconsistent from game to game. Like if Atwell goes on to another game and he gives no red cards and no yellow cards throughout the game, but all the decisions are quite similar, I'd be happy with that refereeing performance. But for this one and specifically, if the threshold for that is not to give a penalty there, I don't think you can give that other one, mm. right? Even though I think the Bernardo Silva one is more of a penalty than Odegaard probably, I think they're kind of within the same threshold that you can't give them if neither of them get there. And now the Gabriel one, once he gets that first yellow, which I don't think should be a yellow, I think that's the bigger mistake. Um, if it's not for scuffing the, the penalty spot, which he definitely should get a penalty for because it's completely dumb. That second one, I don't think he has a choice. Like I, I know it's quite damning of Gabriel, but if I'm a, again, if I'm a striker there or if I'm a City fan, or if, or if that happened to Ruben Diaz. And he didn't get a yellow. Like, the reaction would be really different. And I think, again, contextually, it might be the wrong decision. But in isolation, I'd be really pissed off if that didn't happen. If Ruben Diaz um, fouled someone, kicked the ball away, gets a yellow, and then in the literal next play of the game, clamps Martinelli and it's, it's another yellow card, that should be a yellow card. It's not really too different. And I think that... For me, it's just one of those days you kind of have to write off that it was a poor refereeing performance if you took it, if you look at the context of the game. Mm. We were incredibly unlucky. They had two shots on target. One of the goals was a penalty. One of them was just a a hopeful ball over the top. And I think you just got to write it off to, if you play that game a thousand times, you're going to win about 950 of them. And Mm. It's not like the Everton game or the United game where no. you know, it could have gone either way. In either, like we missed the Nketia chance and they score like pretty much straight away. Or um, we're on top and it's 2-2 and then Odegaard gives away a stupid penalty. Like it, it, It's not one of those where it goes either way. Like you play that game 100 times and ask to win that game about 97, 98 times out of 100 if, if you repeat that process. So for me, I've come away just thinking like, sod's law like whatever's happened happened it was a bad refereeing performance coupled with bad luck and if you do that 100 times you know like if we play that way against spurs we're probably going to beat them two three four nil um 
And now my worry is like, can we repeat that process for at least, you know, 80% of the remaining league games that we've got? Mm. The worry, as always with this team, is we've seen such a fluctuation in performance levels that my worry, immediate worry is how does this affect them? You'd like it to affect them positively and, and see them improve, if anything. But you just can't trust this Arsenal team yet, as good as we've been recently. As I say, it was only a couple of months ago where a lot of people said, is this the end for Arteta after the, the Everton game? So you don't know what we're going to get week to week. Massive game next in the league, as you say. Tottenham away, let's see what we get. Just, I don't really disagree with anything on on, on what you've said for all of those um, those points. The main thing I want to point out, though, is it's not just the fact that he's given one and not given the other. I think it's the fact that he's not given either and he's overturned yeah. one and not the other. And yeah. from my point of view, if he's provided with the right angle... The penalty on Odegaard is clearer than the one mm. on Silva because it's clear from the right angle that Edison makes contact with the player, not the ball. That's, if we're going to use that terminology, clear and obvious error, that's a clear and obvious error because clearly for the ref to not award it, he thinks Edison's got the ball. And the angle could show him, you've made a clear and obvious error, Edison's actually taken his foot, that's a penalty. Second one, he said he's dived which he has dived, but as you say, he's dived into the leg. There's a bit of contact, but I don't think the referee's given it for that still. I think they've given it for the hand on the shirt, which A, is really stupid from Zaka to touch his shirt. It gives them the decision to make. And I honestly yeah. think without that, they don't overturn it because that, that was the still he's, he's shown when he's given it. Whether that should be the case or not, I don't know, because it's very clear that Silva's nearly on the ground before he touches his shirt. So he's, he's clearly not caused that movement. But Xhaka, why are you doing it? You know, why are you touching his shirt? That, that's frustrating. Um, Gabriel stuff. Yeah, you can't really argue them in isolation. But, you know, Ake pulled down Saka about three times in that first half and didn't get a card at all. And you could probably argue if I showed you them on match of the day. Mm. And he'd got two yellows for it. I don't think anyone would argue. So my point yeah, is, absolutely, these these things that we say, yeah, you can't argue with it, are so infrequently, consistently given as cards. That yeah, like I don't, I don't really I know how Rodri doesn't get a yellow until the ninety fourth minute. Well, exactly. And then I, I think I tweeted even then he he took his top off, which is yellow, and he he ran to the Arsenal crowd clearly provoking them, which is technically another yellow. Yeah, it's another yellow, So, yeah. so if we're going to go but, on but technicalities, like was, he's got two yellows there and he should have got yeah. a yellow in the first half. But it, it it was the, was it the, the two-footed one where he slips? Mm. Where he doesn't even get a foul? Like, yeah. that for me was a bit crazy. I was like, he's absolutely cleaned him out. I like, slip or no slip, I understand. But like, mm. that's a yellow card offence, right? Yeah. Like, he's he's gone in really hard and he slipped. The slip is like, unfortunate, but it's still part of it. Like, how many times we've we seen players slip and have to foul a player and get a yellow card or whatever. Like this is just because it's part of the challenge. It wasn't given. And then yeah. that allowed him to kind of foul whenever he wanted. And yeah, I think I'm a bit I, think... Like, I, I just don't really understand like how they weren't given more yellow cards. It was, it was really yeah. bizarre to me. And yeah. yeah, you know, people have already raised like the Atwell, like he's been suspended. He's given ghost goals and, and, and stuff like that. And, to me, it's just like, 
a referee is clearly not very good at his job. Um, and we've just been really unfortunate to be at the receiving end of that. And I think just one final point as well. It's like, we haven't had that many decisions go away this season. Like, it, at least it feels like that. And maybe people can point to, to some specific ones that, that have. But, you know, if you think about, like, the the Holgate stamp on Tommy Asu, which is, I mean, VAR looked at that and didn't give a red card, which is fucking mental, isn't it? Mm. Um, the Tommy Asu Maguire one where he's pulling him, his arm, but it's not his shirt, it's his arm with two hands. And that doesn't even look get looked at. Um the palace player on <laughs> volleys yeah, uh, Saka. Yeah, it wasn't even like wasn't And we dropped in points foul, in all those games. Foul. You know, we lost to United Everton, a dream with which Palace. Ma- which makes it feel worse, right? Um but for example, um and I've had this debate a lot with people where I thought we won the Leicester game really comfortably and didn't didn't really look that uncomfortable even even if the the XG says differently. Um, I think they kind of just totted that up with with quite a a few uh, speculative efforts. But in that same game, Aubameyang spins away from Evans and it's the clearest red card you'll ever have to give. Mm. And it's not it doesn't even go to VAR, does it? So, but but that's one that we don't remember that much because we didn't drop points in that game. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess it feels a lot worse when it impacts the result, but it feels like hopefully um, what goes around comes around and we do get some luck our way. And hopefully, and I know I don't, like, I don't know, Arteta never talks about referees, does he? Like he, he, he never talks about individuals really and he never really talks about referees. And I do wonder if there's some kind of Sir Alex Mourinho mind games to come at some point where mm. like he, he must crack at one point, right? Where it's kind of like okay this is silly like Saka's just getting kicked the shit out of every every game um mm. or you know how can we be stamped on on our faces and and not being punished against and yeah. we've kind of seen that haven't we since what was the home game uh, well West Ham at home where we like were all over referees like every the referees every single foul that went in yeah and we're going to see that more from the players I think because of the injustices that we've seen and I think maybe we'll see it from Arteta who knows I'm hoping it will it will help that I think this is the most Arsenal fans have ever been supported by a load of neutrals on the sense of injustice from that game. You know, I didn't watch match of the day. I can never watch it when we lose. Apparently, they all supported the decisions. Yeah, yeah. They were just right, like, but... it, it, it was clear as day that, I mean... <sighs> um... I mean, the, the reaction on Twitter was a different story, wasn't it? I, I think you saw most fans suggesting that Arsenal were right to feel hard done by in that game. And, and there was a lot of noise about the decisions anyway. And I think that's yeah. partly because you've got big fan bases like Chelsea and Liverpool who have obviously wanted City to, to, to drop points. So we're sort of on Arsenal's side for once. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the reaction. Obviously, Arteta wasn't there, so he'll be asked about it, I'm sure, in his press conference um, for the Liverpool game, so that'll be interesting. The last thing on on those decisions, I just want to say on Gabriel is, look, if I'm an Arsenal coach, I'm talking to him about game management and you know not giving, like I'd be talking to uh, Xhaka about not giving the decision, the referee a decision to make by touching his shirt. Gabriel, don't do that in that moment. But did he have to send him off? It, it, no, I mean you've just booked him for what it appears, I think from the referee report was a group of players arguing and he's had to book one and he's booked Gabriel. And a minute later for his first foul of the game, 
when you've got players like Rodri and Ake have done a few fouls unpunished, you're going to give him a second yellow card. And yes, in isolation, it's yellow, but there is the second yellow card always does have to be slightly harsher. You see players on yellows yeah, getting a, getting a warning. Have a word with him. You say, look, you're on a yellow card. That was on the edge there. Another foul and you're off. You know, manage the game. Don't ruin the game. You know, the referee's yeah. got responsibility here. And I think, yeah, I can't argue with those yellows in isolation. Mm. But you can argue about how the referees handled that situation. Yeah, I, I, I think it was awfully managed. And mm. <laughs> I mean, it's a really bizarre example to, to give. But do you remember that like Portugal-Netherlands game that there were like 20, red card, 20 yellow cards in and about three, four reds? Mm. And you do have to manage games but you also have to have a specific threshold and if people are kicking each other to bits and you don't give yellow cards then you have to be consistent throughout the game but if they are and you're going to set the tone really early which is actually i have to be honest as a pure neutral i like seeing that like if saka runs past ake in the first minute and he gets tugged back or like it's a it's a really obvious like foul where he's not trying to get the ball i like a yellow card given for that because I personally want to see attacking like attackers like I, I want to see them play football like mm-hmm. if Morris skims um Tierney in like the first 50 minutes and he just absolutely clatters him no intention to get the ball just doesn't want him to get past and gets yellow like I want to see like the best players in the league or in the world have the ball at their feet and and create some magic or play really good football and if you can protect those players by giving yellow cards to the opposition for really bad fouls, then I, I personally think that's fine. Where I don't like it is where rotational fouling comes to play or someone like Rodrigo Fernandinho gets like three or four annoying challenges on the same player and doesn't get a yellow card. So mm. just to kind of give a bit more context about my viewpoint, but like I think we, d- we should probably talk about like how good we were in that game because yeah. you kind of started talking about it in the sense that, you know, we what we were waiting for it to come for so long and mm. in the last five or six weeks it, it finally feels like even though and I think I look at this a little bit differently like for me and we had this conversation after the Everton United games I wasn't all too that worried because the six to eight weeks prior we'd had some really good green shoots and specific bits of games like um I think the Villa game we were really good in Spurs were obviously very good in uh West Ham we were like that was later we were amazing in but like Leicester I thought away I thought like and I have I have a different viewpoint to this but I thought we kind of comfortably beat them and um, on another day we we are 2-0 up and they get a red and it's like three or four or it's just like managed out um and there were there have been games where like we've played some really good football and should have scored more goals or um in patches played really well and even in that first 35 minutes against United I know it sounds really perverse but I remember coming up to halftime and being like, oh, we came here to play. And this actually the same with the Liverpool game. I was like, we're not just in a deep block defending for our lives. Mm. Like we did have to do a lot of defending, but we weren't exactly like really, really deep and like defending all the time. Like we did try and come and play and look like they're a better team than us. We didn't, we didn't do it successfully. But there were elements of all those performances that I thought when these all stitched together, I think it's going to work. And now it's very difficult for me to sit here and when we were talking about it to be like, I think it's going to happen. And for you to just be like, well, here's the evidence that it has, hasn't happened. And this is the evidence that I am worried. And 
I totally understand that. But I do think a lot of people have probably not taken enough positives out of like performances rather than results. And for me, like when we, when people were so shocked, like that we beat West Ham 2-0 and played them off the park. And I was like, this is kind of like the Villa and Spurs games, but from like 70 minutes rather than 50. Mm. Um, and There's definitely a know. bravery, I think, at the start of games. And I think yeah. the key thing in this game, and as you say, even in that Liverpool game, the first few minutes, you thought, oh yeah, we've come here to play. And I, I see yeah. all that. My worry with this team is the sort of mental fragility Mm. when things go wrong and yeah. I think even in this game I've, I've just sort of pulled the stats up here Not 15 minutes also had no shots eight touches in the attacking third compared to 22 for Man City cast your mind back to the start of the game City did start a bit more dominant you know at least on the ball completed more than double the passes we did but they didn't really create anything crazy but it even last year, it was a similar thing. It was kind of a standoff at the start and then they score a scrappy goal and then they go on to win 5-0. And I think if they scrapped a goal early on, I'd still worry about what would have happened. But it was like they didn't. And then Arsenal kind of thought, yeah, we can actually get something from this game. And then if you take the 15 to 45 minutes, which I think was the best part of the game Arsenal had, City had one shot. Um, yeah. You know, less touches in the attacking third than us. We had five shots, two on target. Um, completed more passes, I think. You know, we took control of that game in that period. And we got our one goal. Probably should have had our penalty in there. And I think, you know, as we've already sort of alluded to, we needed a second goal at that point. We had that Martinelli yeah. chance that was close. Yeah. Um, but yeah, seeing the way we dominated and were brave in that 30 minutes really was exciting. And it just made me think it's been a while since we've gone into one of these big games and was like, yeah, we can we can win, you know, mm. in that moment at 1-0. I still said at halftime um, in a group chat with my mates, I said I'd take a point because yeah. that's the frustrating thing, the inevitability of some kind of collapse. Yeah. is always there in our heads and yeah. unfortunately until we don't do it consistently it's difficult to run for away a season, from it. It, we're not going to and that's the most frustrating thing it all came crumbling down in the space of three minutes you know with the, with the penalty and the red card and then even then we, you know the, there's positives to take from how we defended until the 95th minute I think you know we still didn't really give City big chances um whether they were at their best or not, probably not quite. But I remember looking at their starting 11 at the start of the game and thinking, this is, I don't think they really had anyone out. You know, they, they decided yeah. not to play Grealish. But they had COVID like their well. full That's squad. COVID at their, is the only one, I think. Yeah. But other than that, they had their full squad at their disposal. So, and, and I think take a lot of pre game, I said to a couple of friends, I was like, if Pep plays Cancelo and Ake, they're going to have issues because. I don't think there's really a right back apart from, you know, <laughs> maybe um, hypothetically or ironically, Tommy Asu that could probably deal with Gabriel Martinelli. Like, mm. it's just, he's such a prick to play against and he's so fast and so direct. I, I, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, wow, like Cantado's been ripped apart. And it's like, he kind of does this to everyone. Um, and But that's huge for Martinelli. I mean, Cantado's yeah, uh, potentially been amazing. I think Cancelo is up there for player of the season. 
this year yeah, so far. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And Martinelli, but I mean, he's, he's, he isn't there for his defensive contributions, though. Um, but no, he, but, but he also did nullify him completely, didn't he? Yeah, but also, you know, Martinelli, as much as he did you know, making Cancelo track back, he he contributed through his sheer work rate to blunting, as you say, what, what Cancelo's yeah. main qualities are, his, his sort of playmaking role in that team. I know Cancelo's played a lot from the left and he was back on the yeah. right, which is his natural position, but he's obviously kind of made that left-back role his own. Yeah. So, and so I think a little Saka there, against Ake was like a mismatch from the very start, wasn't it? Mm. Um, and I am a bit more surprised we didn't try to attack down the right a bit more. Um, he's so confident they... Saka now, though, isn't he? <laughs> Looking at the positive from it, he just... And and that's one player I think will will have grown from this game because he's now played. I know it's only Ake, but he, he's been up against. They're still the best defense in the league, I think. Yeah, or close to it. Um, and he was beating he's beating players with ease, and he's gone to a new level. We've seen that in his output yeah. in recent weeks. But just that strength of holding onto the ball, you see him. We lacked so many dribblers. When you see Martinelli and, and Saka running against players. Yeah you have confidence they're going to get past them and still have the ball at their feet. Yeah, I, I, I think, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's not like a, I was right about this type of thing, but a lot of people, when they were looking at Saka, they were like, oh, it looks, looks great, but like, you know, look at his goals and assist numbers. And in the Premier League, they don't look amazing, but he does actually have more than 50 goals and assists for Arsenal by age 20, which is mm. pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um, and from right wing, if you look at his output, and I've debated this with JB a lot when he was talking about Pepe. Um, and I was like, if you look at his right wing numbers in isolation, they're pretty much the same as Pepe's and he's better at everything else. Um, mm. So why aren't we just like unleashing this guy? And it just felt like a matter of time. And yeah. I, I hope that that matter of time is now and it continues because he's just, he's a phenomenon really because he's, so strong his center of gravity is so good he and I was speaking to a, a coach yesterday who um trains a lot of youth players and has worked with like you know quite a few uh notable footballs footballers and he was saying the thing about Saka is he isn't a player that can beat you one way and the difficulty is that he's so intelligent in the way that he can pass the ball and move off it and also create that he can kind of kill you in like three or four different ways. Mm. And I don't think people are still grasping how good he is. Um, I think it's pretty clear now that the only player in his age bracket that is kind of as good as him is, is probably Phil Foden, who didn't play, obviously. Um, mm. And it just feels like he's really pushing on now. And it's no longer... I, I, it sounds really crazy, right? But we're not really comparing him to a Kalamatsunadori or a Greenwood or a, anyone like that anymore. Exactly. People are now being like, oh, is is there any? if it's behind Salah, like who's the next best right forward in the league? And kind of tough to look past him, right? It's crazy mm. to think that he's our youngest player. He's probably our best player. Um, and he's he has been for home. the last 18 months. Yeah. yeah. He's found his home on that right wing, as you say. And I think, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of debate, you know, when it was kind of a, a thing on Twitter, wasn't it? You know, Callum Hudson, or Greenwood or Saka, who, who's the best sort of academy graduate. There was a lot of that over the last year. You don't really see that anymore. No. And that's 
because he's added numbers, but I think Arsenal fans who watch 90 minutes of every game have always seen that Saka's got that level above, as you say, and that those numbers would come. But you had sort of rival fans just looking at the numbers and yeah, his goals and assists output weren't high enough, but he was incredibly young. A lot of his games had come filling in at left. Even last season, he did a couple of games filling in at left back. It's only the sort of second half of the season last year and this season now he's consistently the starting right winger. Hmm. And it goes back to what I said earlier, when he's developing that relationship with the right back behind him, you know, the, the striker in front of him, he's now delivering a consistency with that output as well. Um, and yeah, it's, I just, I love Saka so much, everything he does on the pitch. But um, another player I wanted to talk about was Thomas Partey. Mm. Um, rightly received a lot of criticism over the last year or so. Um, so frustratingly, he's now gone off to AFCON as soon as we seem to have got him into fully fit mode. But this is this is a real duel that Arsenal have, and that it's down to the coaching team to to make this happen more often. Because you don't play like that away at Old Trafford and home to Manchester City are probably his two best performances um, that he's had for us. That's against two of the highest quality opposition, um, and in this game he played with so much confidence. You know, you're playing mm. up against the likes of Bernardo Silva. Um, De Bruyne and he had the most take-ons on the pitch in this game um, yeah. by a distance he played with so much confidence that he didn't have even a few weeks ago that he was opening his body up and gliding past these players and yeah and he's a big lad as well we can rightly criticize party when he doesn't play well but is this now down to it feels to me that the coaching team and the manager have got to, it's up to them to get this level when it, when he's back from AFCON, obviously. Get this level out of him week in, week out. Because if we have someone who can play at that level consistently, that transforms us. Because it's it's so often a weak area. We've talked about midfielders that we we need, and I think obviously we still need one. Um, but if you have someone playing like that, maybe not. We can't expect exactly that level every week, but even if he can just play close to that level on a consistent basis, that is enough to take us into the top four. I think. I think that's the missing mm. piece, really. How did yeah, what, what th- did you I, think I, about him? I think he was unbelievable, right? And I think I've been someone who's criticised him a lot, but I've always said that his talent is there. Like I know he's a really good player, and I think I said it to you guys after. Anfield, where he was, you know, not great. Um, I said, it's weird, isn't it, that we've seen him have a man of the match performance at Anfield before? Yeah. <laughs> like for Atletico Madrid when they won 3 2, he was, I just remember him coming out of every duel, winning the ball, basically like what he did against uh, City, but in a deeper block. And I remember when Atletico came to the Emirates and he filled in at right back, actually, didn't he? Um, when Vesarico mm. got that red card. I just remember thinking, like, this guy's just impenetrable. Like, you can't get past him. And sometimes he was drifting inside, creating, like, an overload um, in those kind of, like, inside positions. And I just thought he was amazing. And so I've always really rated him, right, as a, as a player. I think the issue at Arsenal is that, and, and particularly, I think, in the last 10 weeks where he's been, he's been giving criticism is when we've been awful. So I think United away, he was... Uh, 
is it fair to say one of our worst players? And, and same with Liverpool. His low points um, have been very low. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like when we've lost, he's been one of the worst players. And when we like, as in when we've performed really badly, he's been one of our worst players. And I think in the recent run where he's been better, I think he's still been one of our weaker performances. And that's not I individually like a bad performance, right? It's just in comparison to the rest of the team, he's probably not been that amazing. And I think this was the game where, again, like United away, where he just looked untouchable. And there were still aspects of it where I was kind of like, oh, why is that happening? Why is that happening? And I'm, I think we're all still getting to learn about um, him as a player. Um, I, I kind of thought that, like, you know, he, he'd be someone that is a bit more you know covers ground quicker and like doesn't really get past like people don't get past him a lot like that's maybe still true and maybe he still needs a bit of fitness to acclimatize but I thought he was amazing I thought like like him and him and Jacka work quite well together um I think him playing well means that we progress the ball so much quicker I think that he makes Odegaard better and vice versa I think the runners in the sense that like when Martinelli and Saka start running, it does open the pitch up a lot and it does feel like we have half a second more on the ball. Mm. And that's kind of the difference between having, you know, Lacazette and Aubameyang up top versus, you know, Saka and Martinelli really high and, and, and Lacazette dropping a little deeper. Um, so yeah, I thought it was amazing. Uh, I hope that instead of that being once every five games, it's kind of three out of five games in the future that he plays, you know, he's not going to play that well every game, but like basically like with Thomas Partey, and I think I, I had the same conversation with, with a coach, with the same coach yesterday. And he said, a lot of people are really confused as to why the Jordan Hendersons and the Scott McTonomies of this world get picked every, every game. And the reason is, is because they have quite high floors. They might not have high peaks in terms of performance, but they have quite high floors in the sense that they never really give you, even when they play badly, a lower than six and a half out of ten. And you know, you might have the Henderson versus Croatia game, whatever. But with party, like what we want as Arsenal fans, I think, is for that floor to just go from like a three out of ten to like a five or six. Mm. And I think that's when people will start start to appreciate him. And again, like I'm not, I I, I don't disagree with you wholly on the coaching side of things. I actually think for him it's more of a focus thing like sometimes he just does not look like he's focused and I think mm. that the high press the intense press actually forces him to switch on a lot more I think he's better in an environment where he has intense players like Xhaka, Lacazette, Martinelli, Saka, Tomiyasu, Gabriel, Tierney these are all really intense players at Ramsdale they're really intense players hmm. and I think he's better in that kind of environment in that kind of team where he's almost forced to become intense because the players around him are so intense and I kind of hope that starts like he's got a very intense manager as well I hope those things just continuously rub off him off on him until he can kind of focus and, and be as good as that or as close to that as possible every game mm, yeah there's a lot of mental factors there for sure yeah. and I think you know, when he did his first, which I think is, is almost his best move, that sort of drop of the shoulder where he, he receives the ball, drops his shoulder, sort of opens his body, and he's kind of past the player with his first touch. When he does yeah. when he does something like that, and I think he did it quite early on in this game, and I thought, okay, this could be a, a big game for Partey. Equally, in his bad games, he does something a bit silly, um, 
you know makes a mistake and then he quite often follows that up with with a bad performance more negative passing we saw I think it was in that Everton game recently where where the whole team was bad but he in particular completely lost his confidence percentages I don't have them with me now but his his forward passing just pretty much stopped because he was scared of making a mistake um someone of his age and experience and getting paid the amount of money we could rightly argue probably shouldn't be playing with that level of fear but there are some natural mental factors and and I just hope that you know there's the acclimatizing to the Premier League as well there's acclimatizing to you know he always plays on the right side of the centre midfielder back to the right back thing last season even start of this season, he he didn't know who the right back was going to be. Now he's got that mm. Tomiyasu foil there. You know, he's got similar players around him. This might be a player who's really going to benefit from that consistency in, in players around mm. him as well. So let's let's hope. And I'm not really I'm sad we're losing him, but yeah, I'm not scared of him going to AFCON because I think it could probably help because there's another thing there with with fitness, isn't there, about whether he's got that level of fitness. So getting more games in his legs, I think isn't necessarily a bad thing. So let's hope he he has a good tournament um, and comes back uh, and makes an impact for us. But um, yeah, definitely positive. And I think in these big games, going back to what I said at the start, you need to win these big games against these these big teams. You need a, at least one of your centre midfielders to, to be at that level. You know, so much is won and lost in that midfield and, and the reason we took control in that 15 to 45 minute period is is much because of his bravery on the ball um his ball recoveries he made some really good mm. tackles um and also you know splitting lines by carrying the ball and that's why we signed him you know we've talked about how most of our players we've signed are good dribblers uh you know helping us in transitions by by taking on players as well as passing through the lines and we signed in to do that. So let's hope that continues. The last thing I wanted to to comment on actually in the, in the city game as another positive was the fans. I thought, um, yeah, really good. You know, I, it was an amazing feeling. I would love to be in the ground at the end of that game where there was so much for us to be frustrated about. And as soon as the final whistle went, the whole crowd singing Arsenal, Arsenal. And I just thought that that's brilliant for these players to lift it. You know, the fans recognise that the players would feel so dejected, but we rightly applauded their efforts in that game. You know, we're all frustrated with the refereeing. We're frustrated with a bit of luck that went against us, but well done to to every single one of you in the, in the, in the crowd, not only for throwing Lou Rowe at uh, Rodri, but also for, uh, <laughs> yeah, rightly recognising Good is that for you? Is that for you now? With with that kind of support after the game, do mm. you think that's a kind of chapter, not chapter close, but do you think most Arsenal fans are now on the same page and that they're kind of trusting in this process? I think so. I think we've always said. Uh, I think we've said it on this podcast a few times that if we play these young players, we'll be more forgiving of mistakes yep. they make as well. You know, if. <sighs> Socrates had made that got those two yellows <laughs> rather than Gabriel. Would the fans be as forgiving as they're going to be with Gabriel? I don't think so. Or Mustafi, you know. But when they can see the potential, when we when we're rewarding youth, 
I think it was just during that period where we had players like Saka playing well and he would start Willian, you know, th- then we're not going to be as forgiving of the process when we see what Willian's doing on the pitch. But mm. it's hard to argue, with at least what we've seen in the last five games, um, with the approach and the process. And, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> A lot of people don't really believe in the soft factors, but I'm a big one on Ramsdale's contributions mm. off the pitch, his personality, his connection with the crowd. Leno, I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, but <laughs> no real connection with the fans, you know, not no. very vocal. Not I, much I mean, I think I think when you say I'm open to a new challenge, um, <laughs> it's hard to be a fan favourite after that, is it? But mm. I, I totally agree with you. I'm I'm a big soft factors person, and I think there's a p- picture going around. If anyone doesn't believe in it, um, go have a look at the picture that's going around of the Arsenal, uh, not the Arsenal, the United team lining up uh, pre-game against Wolves. Mm. I don't know if you've seen this, Ollie, but they all just look dejected, like from Ronaldo all the way down to Greenwood, McTominay, Luke Shaw at the back they look like they just do not want to be there and something's really wrong there. Mm. And that isn't an ability thing. That's like a complete cultural and human thing. And I think we downplay how important that is. But, and again, I'm sorry to bring this person up again, but one of the conversations, because we had a long car journey together yesterday, but he basically said to me that um, a lot of people close to Jurgen Klopp know that he's not an amazing tactician. He has like a set way of playing he wants to play and he has some very good tactical minds with him. But he was saying like a few players that he's worked with and coached that have spoken to Klopp or been at Klopp clubs have said that you go into a meeting with him in, in his office, dejected, and come out of it thinking like you're the best player in the world and you'd want to run through walls for him. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we're not reaching that level with Arteta, but we are getting closer to a core of players that really want to play for him and really want to be there for him. Mm-hmm. And you kind of hear Ben White talk about him. You kind of hear Saka, the youngsters, Martinelli talk about him. And now after this summer where, you know, whether Lacazette stays or goes, um, Aubameyang's going to be gone. A few of the other players that, you know, Maitland-Niles is going to be gone probably this month. We're going to see a, a whole squad of players, basically, that have been signed by Arteta or given new contracts by Arteta already. And they're going to be players that want to play for him. And, and vice versa, he wants to play. So it's going to be interesting. But I think we should we should move on to um, Liverpool that might actually be cancelled because uh, I don't know if you've seen, but they've um, just actually cancelled their, their training today oh, really? um, due to an outbreak. So kind of touch and go whether or not that one's happening. So I don't know if it's worth us maybe covering that for maybe like three or four minutes and mm. the rest of the cup run and then, and then transfers as well. Yeah, the last thing I just wanted to quickly say on fans, clear their impact, look at the difference between our, our home and away form. Um, our our ground, home ground is turning into a real fortress and I think let's keep that going. Well done to to every fan that was there on uh, on Saturday. But yes, let's um, turn our attention. I haven't seen that news. Obviously, we're talking on Tuesday. We're due to play Liverpool on Thursday. We are then due to play Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup on... Sunday, I would presume, if we're playing on Thursday. Yeah, Sunday at 10 past five. Lovely. Nice little time there. <laughs> What's going on there? And then the second leg against Liverpool the following Thursday, 
with Spurs away in the league on the following Sunday. So I wanted to chat through the approach on how we handled that, but do you have any more news on on this developing situation at Liverpool? Because that might change. Well, there's right? a lot of there's a lot of Twitter stuff, which is kind of like Villa had to play their their, their youngsters against Liverpool. Um, why why aren't Liverpool having to be forced to do the same hmm. against Arsenal? And I I think it's going to be a struggle to get this rearranged because the final isn't too far away, right? Well, could we get a bye through to the final? Well, like, and can you play the second round before the first, even if it's been drawn already? Like, mm, I think leg, they're gonna yeah. have they're gonna have to play, right? Um, I mean, they've got a good academy; they can put kids out, and I I imagine they were gonna go stronger for the semi. But I also don't think Klopp cares too much about no he competition. Doesn't. I remember he said when it was drawn, he was happy to do one leg at, at the Emirates. Yeah, 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 yeah. He wasn't fussed about getting that home advantage. So I don't think he cares too much. I wonder if that's more of a story and we'll see potentially a, a much weakened Liverpool side. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be very, very weak. And um, I actually think we'll go quite strong in that first leg. Um, well, I it's an interesting see... situation, isn't it? I mean, let's let's presume the game goes ahead. So... I'm I'm also when I'm kind of speculating I'm presuming Tommy Asley was probably asymptomatic, right? Because if you had like a bad bout of COVID, you probably wouldn't play the day after being negative and, and not, you know, yeah. and not training at all. So we kind of presuming that it, it felt like a, a worse cold for him and he's basically kind of had seven days off. Mm. Um he could probably play again and then get a rest against Forest. Yeah. Um Ben White and Holding are probably the only options. Um, I think I think Tierney will play because I think he won't play in the cup. Um, the interesting to me one to me is like, does Leno keep his place? Because we only have three competitions this this season, mm. and I, I I wouldn't be shocked if he's not played in that. Yeah. Um, and then in central midfield, I think that kind of picks itself again. It's Lukonga and Jacker, right? Um, I think even if um, I think considering that Liverpool news, they're potentially weaker this week, stronger in the second leg. It's even more reason to go stronger for this first leg and then perhaps get yeah. a couple of goals before you go to Anfield, go take a couple of goals lead into that game. But I think we, we almost have no choice as well because it's a bit unfortunate really that the, the first leg is followed by Forrest. And the second leg's followed by Spurs away. Yeah. Because ideally you want to be playing a very weak team in that second leg, but it's away at Anfield, so you can't afford to go two weeks. So it's a bit annoying in how it's how it's come up, but we can't complain really with having Forrest jammed in between the two legs. So no. I mean, my view, I think I tweeted it out yesterday. Let's see what I said. So I said, yeah, I'd make four changes for for the first leg. Um, two of them would be forced. That's holding for Gabriel would be suspended, and Lacongre in for Partey with the Afcon absence. And then I would personally give Tavares probably potentially even these three games. Okay. I think the situation with Tierney, he's been fit for a while now, but we've got to remember the amount of minutes he gets in his legs and the, his injury proneness is a factor. And I just think if you can give him almost two weeks off, 
mm. pretty much before that Tottenham game. You know, maybe play him half an hour in, in one of these legs. I don't have a, a real worry with Tavares playing against Forest yeah. and Liverpool's B team potentially um, for both legs, and it keeps Tavares happy because he hasn't really deserved. He had a couple of blunders, but overall his performances has been pretty good. So yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with him getting just a little run, little cut run there. Um, but I'm the same with you. I, I've not said Leno to come in for this one. I think he can play against Forest. Um, there's not really any, much of an injury risk. Again, touching the wood around me. Um, playing in goal. And I think he does make such a difference for us at the moment. You know, we didn't t- talk about that pass to Martinelli and then Martinelli's touch mm-hmm. in the City game. I mean, that was just... I'm not sure Leno's ever, ever done that. Uh, and I don't, I don't to... think if he tried it about 100 times, he would be able to. Yeah. And Ramsdale seems to be pulling out a pass like that every game. And yeah, in these small margin games, one pass like that can make all the difference. Um, and I just, I think, again, a keeper who's been out for a long time of the team in a small margin game against Liverpool. I don't know. I wouldn't rush to switch him. And is he potentially already talking to other clubs? So it, I imagine he would quite like a move in January. Who Eddie? Leno. Leno, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um I just lost you for a second. Um yeah, I uh, that's my thing. I was literally about to say it and you kind of took the words out of my mouth. Like, mm-hmm. do we want to play someone in a semi-final who is a professional? Um but like just play him against I would just play him against um Forrest, Forrest. like I really yeah. would, because I think he probably wants to say, like Arteta will probably say to him, look, like, you know, you've been good when you've come into the League Cup, but with all due respect, it's been about against crap opposition. Mm-hmm. This is a real game. This is a semi-final. Like, we should, we're should, we going to use this seriously. And I think we'll go pretty strong. I think Forrest will rotate a lot. Like, I wouldn't actually be shocked to see, like, a Patino start or someone like that. Um, mm-hmm. I know well, it's really early days. Centre midfielders, the way we've got. Yeah. And unless we buy one, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, the other change sorry, I would make for that first leg was, was give Smith a start ahead of. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have the data on, but the club will on Odegaard, Saka, and Gabby. I'm sure one of them is closer to the, the infamous red zone than the other. So, whoever that is, I would drop out. Um, and obviously, for the Forest game, if any of them are, are seeing any risk at all, I wouldn't have them near it. But um, yes, Enketia is the other one, isn't it? Would you? Would you consider him for the Liverpool games or just the Forest one? I personally wouldn't, but we can't really afford for Lacazette to get injured. Hmm. It's the other thing. And Arteta clearly really rates him and wants him to stay. Or I don't know if that's like a game or anything, but yeah, like I think he'll, I think he'll play two of those three games. I think, Hmm. I think he'll definitely play the second and third one. I think Um, he'll probably get minutes in all of them. Yeah, yeah, I think he'll get minutes in all of them. Um, I think Lacazette will probably start on Thursday, but I don't think he'll do more than sixty. Even if we're like one 0 down and we need a goal or whatever, and like, I just I don't think we'll we'll kind of risk it. Um, mm. But yeah, let's let's um, you know, mindful been going for a while. Let's segue the Patino shout you've just had into the transfer section because yes, I think you're right that Patino may have to play on Sunday against Forest at least 
you know, if the game's going well, I expect he may get on. Um, because with Party and El Nene now off to the African Cup of Nations, Arsenal are left with Granit Xhaka, uh, Albert Sambi Lakonga, and Ainsley Maitland as Niles as central midfield senior options. For people who don't sort of follow the transfer stuff, it does seem pretty likely that Maitland Niles is in at least in talks with um, Jose Mourinho's Roma. Um, there's talks of him sort of going with a loan with option or obligation to buy. Um, surely if Arsenal are considering that, they're eyeing up a, a midfielder this month. But... Sorry, I muted myself. Yeah, um, I mean, <sighs> part of me is like, what the hell are we doing and how can we not sign one? I think if money's on the table for make denials and it's sensible, you've got to take it because, you know, liquidity is sparse in a market where very few clubs have money. Um, mm. And if the rumour, like, I think if it's 15 to 17 million or even if it's 13 with some add-ons, I think you've got to take it um, because I don't really know who pays more than that in the summer anyway. Uh, and if anything, you kind of run the risk of him just seeing out his contract and getting a try and trying to stick out for a fatter contract and um, where he goes somewhere on a free and just says, you know what, like you guys didn't give me my move. I'll just give it 12 months and, and go for free somewhere. Mm. Um, I, I also think there's some friction there with him and Arteta. And I think like, you know, there's been situations before, like the semi-final, the FA Cup in the final where he hugs him. And he says, like, thanks so much for doing that for me. Like, I knew you could do it kind of thing. Like, you've put your all in for the team for the final time. And I think it's always been, you know, noted that he's going to leave at some point, especially as Arteta's the manager. But also, I think as soon as you bring, bring in Lekonga, um, and then he's still around, you kind of block that avenue a little bit for, for Maitland-Niles. So, mm. and he clearly doesn't want to hear right back. He hasn't played any minutes there this season. Um so I think he's going to go, but I think in terms of central midfield, I I struggle to think about what player would come in that wouldn't cost an absurd amount in January. Like we were talking about Ruben Neves last night, right? Um, in our in our chat in our podcast chat, um, I know me and you rate him, and Carl and JB don't. So there's kind of a, a, a split down the middle there. Um, but I think that. You know, a player of that caliber who is a really good central midfielder, in my opinion, but isn't like a like he's not as good as Party, for example. He's probably about as good as Jacker, maybe a little bit better in in, in specific respects, especially. But that's going to still cost you like forty million pounds. Mm. And with that in mind, I do think that if we do sign a central midfielder. Is it going to be someone of the Tomiyasu ilk? And we've been linked with um, Svanberg at Bologna, who's someone that kind of my Serie A friends have been telling me about for about 12 months or so. I, I've never watched him play and I've got no opinion of him. But like, you know, the same people who told me Tomiyasu is a very, very good player also tell me that he's a very good player. Um, if that's fucking anything to go on. Um, but I do think that, you know, we spent a lot in summer. If a Bamiyan goes, and Maitland-Niles goes, and Torreira goes, you do suddenly develop a little bit of a kit, and maybe even Ketia, right? You do suddenly develop a little bit of a kitty there to play with, and 
whether or not that's spunked all on a central midfielder or it's a loan for a central midfielder and then a striker. For me, I'm also kind of like, there's a player out there in Aaron Ramsey who I never really loved that much as an Arsenal fan. But I think if you don't have any players coming in and there's no deal to be done for a player that you want for the now and for the future, how tempting is it, Ollie, to go for like a loan option? And I know we've done there and been there, done it with Sabayos before, and it's not worked out, and hmm. we've gone some of the short gaps. But like I, we are kind of desperate in that position, aren't we? Yeah. Well, I'm looking at it now, and and I've kind of changed my opinion. Um, so to answer your question on loan, I think I wouldn't do it with Ramsey just because. And again, we've discussed this off air, uh, but I think I question whether he could play in that base of the two and then you're signing in because we need a body but how reliable is he with his with his injury history um there was some talk yesterday I couldn't find where the rumor had officially come from initially but about Wijnaldum now if you could get Wijnaldum on a on a six-month loan I'd do that because I think even when everyone's back he's potentially a player that at least gets off the bench most yeah. games and could have an impact. So for the right loan, possibly, but AFCON is due to finish 6th of February, I believe, yeah. from what I've just Googled. So all that is, is the three cup games we've just talked about, where in my mind, we could engineer a deal for Maitland-Niles, but keep him around for those three games to take minutes off players we might need to rest and sort of just agree to sell them a bit later in the window. Then we've got the Spurs game where you would just need to kind of hope that Xhaka and Lukonga are fit. And then the only other game we've got before they return from AFCON is home to Burnley, which I think even if you've got an injury to Xhaka or Lukonga, home to Burnley, could you play Odegaard in the deeper role and play more of a 4-3-3? Probably, you can probably get away with that in that game. So now I'm thinking, unless, you know, obviously if one of our targets that we really want from the summer becomes available and we can do it in January, you'd do it, no question anyway. But I wouldn't be, especially I, I, from my point of view, unless we can get the right player, I would just keep Maitland-Niles through at least these cup games to just give us that opportunity to take some minutes out of the legs of, of Xhaka in particular, who's played a hell of a lot since coming back from that long injury. Mm. So I don't think he can afford to be playing in all these games when he's got to be fully fit for the Spurs game. But what if Roma say that we want him now or we don't want him? You've got to sell, right? I think there's ways of that. We dragged on the Ben White deal for about three months when it was pretty much done. So all we're talking is if you can delay the completion of that deal, even by five days, right, less than a week, we can use him for the Liverpool and Forest game, the first Liverpool leg. And then I think that lowers the risk because then you've only got three games until two centre midfielders are coming back. But if you can get the right midfielder, you do it because when Elneny comes back, I'd happily send him straight back out the door if, if there's another good, <laughs> good body in there. I mean, even if we got Wijnaldum on loan, I would yeah, happily let El go. I think most people would. Um, 
for me, I, I think we're going to do something. Um, and I think whether that's just central midfield or striker or both, I think Arteta and Edu must be must have some angst about our striker situation. Ideally, like I know we've been linked with Lavich, right? Mm-hmm. And we've been linked with a lot of other. Because I mean, just trying changing the t- t- tone a little bit from central midfield. Because I think there's less obvious targets there up front. All of the options that we're linked with are pretty good players, right? Jonathan David, Ishak, um, Vlahovic. And I was having this debate with someone who was kind of showing me some of his underlying numbers. And even if you look at it as like just at the expected goals, Vlahovic is still kind of the sixth best, seventh best striker in the league uh, with players that have played over a thousand minutes. And he's the youngest one on that list, like by, by a, considerable distance um if you're going to go for a more punty option like that because i think there's a temptation to just pay over the odds for like a dominant calvert lewin and have like a more of a sure thing if you're going to pay like money for like a vlahovic an ishak or a jonathan david i think you actually would rather do it in january because that can then help you assess whether or not lacazette or someone needs to stay or whether you you can just play that player that you've bought in January, have Lacazette off the bench, and then replace Lacazette in the summer. Because I think it's a big risk to go into summer with no strikers on our books, basically, apart from Florian Balogun, and for us to then start by two starting strikers. Mm. I don't know why it just feels a bit weirder to not no, have that transitionary player. Because I, I, it feels like it's a lot easier to buy two new centre-backs and a right-back and just be like, play together. But yeah. like a strike to come in, if they don't come in and hit the floor running, you've seen it with like Christoph Piontek. We've seen it with Joel Linton. We've seen it with Sebastian Haller. Like sometimes strikers come in and they don't work for a team, even if they're good. And sometimes mm. they were just like overrated or whatever, like Piontek. So I think that's a tough one. And I think weirdly, that is the most important one, isn't it? I think it is, yeah, especially after looking at those fixtures. Two league games to navigate with with our midfield situation. And then you have two centre you know, two senior centre midfielders coming back. If Aubameyang's situation doesn't smooth, which looks almost impossible from where we are that's, now. I think that's done. We've got Lacazette, who's is gonna be talking to clubs from from now. You know, he he can sign a pre-contract from now. Um, with any other club. And then we've got Enketia who can do the same thing with, with any foreign club. And Balogun, who is clearly not really ready. So, and that's an area of the pitch where you're more likely to need impact from the bench as well. Obviously, you know, your strikers from the bench is a, is a more obvious change when you need a goal. Lacazette, not the fittest player anyway, quite often when we've had the luxury of having both Aubameyang and, and Lacazette at our disposal, Lacazette would extremely rarely play 90 minutes. We're now asking him to play 90 minutes most of the time. So I do agree. The difficult thing is it's probably harder to do because you're trying to buy a bit more of a superstar. And I mean, we talked about it before, though. There are a number of options, but p- people don't want to sell their star strikers in January. You know, that's no, different to selling... To a Leon selling Bruno Gomez. Uh, yeah. 
I think that's but more likely than you getting Calvert Lewin from Everton. No, I, I don't think you get like Calvert Lewin, who you know could get you relegated. Get Isaac, because he's got a release clause, but it's seventy-five yeah. million pounds. So, and you could get a Vlahovic because he's got eighteen months left on his deal, and we're selling Torreira to them anyway. Mm-hmm. So, I think I know there's like rumours that he doesn't want to come to Arsenal and stuff, but like, there's no smoke without fire. I don't know like. that. Yeah, and the Vlahovic stuff just. I, I'm think not really buying into it yet. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some interest by the sheer nature of the fact that we need two forwards over the next six months. But there's all the media I read is quite, it, it stinks of agent talk, a lot of the stories, in, in that it's kind of drumming up interest stuff. The price tag seems to be incredibly high for his contract situation. So I wonder if that's not just agent talk, but a bit from his club trying to drum up more interest and get that money. You know, because they're talking sort of £60 million. Pounds. I'm but telling like, you now, if they got a £60 million pound offer, they're accepting it. Oh, think, yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Like, I think they'd accept less. I think they'd yeah. accept like 45, 50 million euros in Torreira or whatever. Mm. Um, which I think at that price, for a team or a club of our stature and our resources I think it's worth a punt but then I think it also helps you decide on Lacazette that is the key thing here because I think Mm. the risk like let's say if we come sixth fifth or fourth whatever it may be like we're gonna have more games to navigate next season we're gonna have another competition that we need to try and do well in whether it be the Champions League or the Europa League Um, hopefully it's one of those Um, you can't it's very difficult to go into that with two completely new strikers. Um, I think it's for some reason, it's easier if you're like, you've got two new fullbacks or a goalkeeper and a centre-back or whatever, because those positions, I think the, 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 the quality needed to excel in those positions is probably lower than like up front. And it's less of a confidence position as well. So yeah, I'm a bit like torn about, do you wait to the summer and then just go all out for like a Dominic Cavalier and pay like the 60, 70 million it would take and just know that you've got a sure fire prem goal scorer in your team and you can rest easy a bit about Lacazette not staying and then maybe you take a like a more punty European league striker on board with your, or someone like a, you know, uh, Alvarez who's, who's looking to go to United at this point. Um, do you know what I mean? Like it feels a bit safer, but like, going into the summer and then having like Vlahovic and another striker who we buy probably from Europe feels a bit risky. Um, mm. And I think they're going to be quite anxious about that. It's, just, it's a huge transition if, if we leave it all to the summer. And, and again, going back to that consistency chat, we've seen the the reward of, of doing that. Um, so it would be nice to take that first step in January. And I think... Yeah, if, if we get someone like Vlahovic this month and he does well, potentially they keep Lacazette as his backup for another mm. year or two. So it'll be really interesting. I'm sure things will move fast. Probably by the time we, we put this out, we've sold Aubameyang to Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> or, or wherever Aubameyang, he goes, if we can find anyone for him. I mean, that's a, another situation, a lot, obviously. A lot of wages to get off the books, isn't it? Yeah, and he's off to AFCON now, so it's not, um, no one's going to be in a rush to sign him. 
th- there's no chance he's he's playing for Arsenal again. I think I'd be shocked. Yeah, yeah, that's a podcast in itself. I think it's really sad, though, considering you know how successful the signing has oh, been yeah. in general. That, yeah. that we're here again with another player that we all loved and got excited about, Kof Mesut Ozil. Yeah. Um, so hopefully not every Arsenal player's career ends in this way, but um, yeah, I think we'll leave it there. I don't know how long we've been going, but probably too long. Very long. If you've made it this far, well done. <laughs> so listen again. <laughs> <laughs> this has been episode, where are we now? I think it's 31. <laughs> Probably something like that. Something like that. Been episode thirty-one. Episode thirty-one of the Fresh Arsenal podcast. I've been your host, the real PB, and I've been the fake PB at Pet Barisha on Twitter at P E T B E R I S H A. I might change my app to the real PB. I'll see if it's free. But you can find me at Ollie Price Bates, O-L-I, not Oil Price Bates, as some people still call me. Um, and you can find the podcast Twitter at Fresh Arsenal Pod. We haven't done it in the last couple of weeks because we've been recording last minute, trying to squeeze in podcasts over the festive period. But um, we will start tweeting out, getting your questions answered on the show again. Um, so please join us on there and interact with us. Wherever you're listening, please subscribe to the podcast and and rate us five star, hopefully. If you've made it this far, we deserve a five star, really, <laughs> don't we? Let's be honest. Um, and apparently you can rate us on Spotify now, podcast expert, Pat has told yeah. me. So, you um, can. Five stars, please. Let's get some good ratings on there. Uh, but yes, I think we'll leave it there. Our next podcast will sandwich at some point between these cup games. Um, I know we said we were going to talk after the Wolves game. Obviously, that didn't go ahead. So mm. I'm not going to I'm not going to promise any day. Depends what happens in the in the wider landscape. But um, hopefully, at some point next week, we'll reflect on advancing into a cup final or taking a big step into one potentially. Fingers crossed. Be nice. Would be nice. And no Man City to play in the final. Although after our performance at the weekend. We would have had a chance, wouldn't we, at Wembley? Yeah. Yeah, let's hope so. Right, this has been the Fresh Arsenal podcast. Thank you for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.